Welcome to Simonson Says. I'm your host, Lisa Simonson, a longtime New Yorker and a luxury real estate broker at Douglas Solomon. Simonson Says explores ideas from some of the most creative minds working in the field of real estate, architecture, design, sustainability, and more in order to help us better understand the evolving world we are living in today. Our guest today is Peter Pelsinski, who is a founder of Span Architects. He is also currently a professor at Princeton University, and his expertise are in design, collaboration, and fabrication, as well as a wide range of intellectual expertise. The studio work at Span Architects encompasses everything from residential and commercial architecture to custom furniture to graphic design and branding. Peter is joining us today to speak about the new world we're living in and how it might change in the coming months or years to meet our new lifestyle and needs. Peter, thank you so much for being here. Very, very happy to, uh, to join. I, I just want to, you know, there's so much to talk about with your very extensive and impressive background. I just want to talk about at Princeton, you teach the integrated building design seminar and lab. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and how your students are doing? Yeah, I do. I, in fact, have been for the past decade, uh, which is shocking, have run the uh, integrated building studio, which is really a means for graduate students to kind of understand how we make things and conceptualize them. So I've had the pleasure of, of running that. And, you know, our students at Princeton, much like the students in New York, uh, they, you know, Princeton shut down early. You know, they're proficient remote learners at this point. You know, I think they've done incredibly well. I mean, we all know, you know, any anybody who has a kid who's like uh, dealing with remote learning, it's a complicated process. They're, they've been great. Yeah, I mean, as you said, anyone that has children or, you know, whether whatever the ages are, this has clearly been a very uh, challenging time. And I'm sure there's a silver lining somewhere, at least that we all get to spend more time together. But it's definitely <laughs> been an adjustment for all of us. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. what what changes do you think there are going to be made in terms of housing and architecture to adapt to this new post-COVID world? And again, that's a clearly huge question that I'm <laughs> asking you. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where, why I'm sure we could talk about this for, you know, months, but, you know, just your instincts of how we are going to all deal with this. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll frame it kind of in the close quarters that I think we are in as residents in New York City. So, you know, again, looking at that particular thermocline of co-ops and condominiums like that are like in the five boroughs, the kind of constraints that are going to be and possibilities, I guess, are going to be different there than more rural or suburban areas. So my firm, Ben, with my partner, Karen Stonely, we've been talking a lot about this. I mean, you know, I, I would say I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure we primarily do residential architecture. So I think the the shifts that we're going to see are um, this notion of home. Sorry, uh, Peter, can I just gonna, chime in there? I'm just chiming in without losing a train of thought of how your clients are reacting to the sort of projects that you were working on when this happened. Well, actually, if we talk about this idea that we've all been sequestered and working remotely like we have you know children at home we are we have kids who are you know perhaps at college and have come back home like so we're dealing with this kind of a plurality of uh kind of pressures that have 
come to bear back on the home. So, you know, we're looking at the same square footage. We might have X number of square feet, and we're really kind of repurposing uh, how we use that square footage before. And I can see, you know, kind of in a kind of guerrilla tactics way how we've all dealt with it. But I think looking forward, like if we're looking forward about how we might envision our homes in the future, there are a couple of trends that I think are going to become more apparent. One of which is, you know, all of us have taken over our dining room table or our kitchen table. That's become a workspace. There's no question that the, uh, you know, we've kind of reappropriated stuff that we already have, but we could plan for the future. Uh, we have lots and lots of spaces that are kind of secondary. Like, you know, we can think back like about the dining room. Dining rooms are, you know, this kind of uh, like leftover space in many of our mental envisionings of them. So they're all becoming offices now. They're all becoming playrooms. They're becoming great rooms, family rooms, mud rooms, remote working rooms. Like they, they've been totally kind of transformed because we had to make them uh, work that way. So I think that's going to continue to be a trend. And in New York City, there are absolutely like places where we can do that and, and, and make that work. But I'm sorry, when you say it in New York City, because I'm laughing as you say that, or and it also makes me feel better that I'm not the only one. I invested in a very sort of, you know, like I treated myself to this exceptional uh, handcrafted piece of art dining room table that now my eight-year-old is using as a desk. And I'm sort of, you know, poor kid. I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? Um, so that's a great example. I mean, I think that's really what we're going to see, uh, this whole notion that we can do multiple things in different surfaces, on different places. And I like, I, I take it back to the uh, 80s and we think about the notion of the great room or the, the family room, this whole idea that there was this kind of incubator space where we could do a lot of stuff. Um, I think we're, we're kind of heading uh, back into that. And, you know, what's interesting is having a bunch of kind of cellular spaces becomes an interesting idea uh, post-COVID, right? You have rooms that you can kind of insulate. You can have different activities. You don't have to have the same people in them. We've been trying to blow up space for uh, years and years to make it more open because we could. And now suddenly there's this kind of paradigm where we might want to actually shut it down again. Like we want, might want smaller rooms. We might want doors. That's so interesting. You know, we, we can't be too precious about the things that actually are functional, I think, these days. So you know, okay, my, first, my first rule would be dump a nice table, get a good work table uh, and, you know, kind of accept uh, that we're all going to be there. And then I would say no to the idea of like sequestering or breaking basis up unless you have to. I mean, like, you know, we have a, a, a family member, a loved one, somebody who we're caring for in this process. Necessarily, we're going to have to make separations. However, I would say given that we're all like stuck together, like I would say, a, a large number of us are probably in closer quarters than we ever have been before with uh, our families. So it's really kind of making flexible, simple arrangements so that we can have breakfast, clear the table, and then, you know, be able to kind of move into the, the different work modes that we all have. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I think that's great advice. And I, you know, I have to uh, just decide that the, it's just a table. So I did a little digging before we got on this call. And since you're the expert, and everyone has all of these, you know, ideas right now, some of them, of course, are ridiculous, some make sense, etc. 
I just wanted to review a few of them to, to hear your uh, professional opinion, since I'm the one selling real estate, but you're the one that's actually building beautiful homes. Uh, air and water filtration. Um, you know, most modern renovations uh, have fairly sophisticated HVAC systems, which is to say that like the kind of air filtration with HEPA filters and the degree of air exchanges, um, all that stuff uh, appears to be working well. That is to say, if we actually look at the standards that we had pre-COVID and we look at where we are right now, most of the yeah. models that we have in place as good practice, they still work. Like there's nothing that you really would do uh, to improve them. So I can imagine there, are, and I, I know, there are lots of people worrying about their mechanical systems that they're going to switch on their air conditioning right. in the summer and they're all going to get sick. That's absolutely not the case. So, you know, luckily a contemporary mechanical system uh, is actually fairly well, forgive the pun, equipped to uh, take care of uh, this current problem. I think water is, the uh, you know, another concern that people have uh, have brought up again. There is nothing that seems to uh, suggest that water is a way for this to be passed upon uh, to other people. So, you know, we are looking at systems that are kind of tried and true in the sense that reverse osmosis or kind of filtration systems. The infrastructure that we have in place in the city in particular, I mean, we can talk about other things, but in the city, we have a fairly robust systemic approach to all this stuff already. So I, I feel very good that nobody is at risk. Wow. Okay. That's well, that I think that makes everyone listening um, feel good. The next question I think is something which I've heard from so many different people, urban gardening, small gardens on terraces or backyards where vegetables and fruits and spices can be grown. Please tell me, you know, and this, this is what I think is really important because, you know, New York has sort of been coming, becoming a little bit you know, over the last few years of more the haves and have nots. And so one of the great parts of New York City is how it's a melting pot of all of us. Uh, and so people, friends of mine from people with, you know, larger apartments to good friends of mine that live in studios are saying to me, well, they just feel, you know, they want something where they have a little terrace or a backyard or something to feel a little bit more green or closer to nature. So what's your advice? Well, I've always felt that the uh, exterior spaces of New York, especially in the kind of private realm, have been undervalued in the sense that if you look at the asking price for an apartment, the exterior space is like barely like a, a kind of rounding air. I can, yeah. I, I see that I have always felt, and you know, I, I will speak as somebody who has a small terrace and does grow stuff, um, it's, they're enormously valuable. And I think we're going to see uh, that people will value private exterior spaces that can be, you know, both sanitized, which is kind of an ugly word, but frankly, they're just, you know, private, they're, they're safe. Uh, and right. I think that's actually kind of a game changer uh, in my, my brain. And as an architect, we we're looking at ways it's like making those spaces productive. So it really is notion of like of gardening, I think is completely the way that we're going to see things go. It's not really going to be about looking at a privet or a kind of view. It's going to be, how can I make this green space productive for my family, which I think is fascinating. Absolutely. It's absolutely fascinating. I have uh, two more questions and then I think this has been fantastic and uh, so much great insight. Natural textiles and materials in the helm. 
Well, I think there's always been a, a concern about indoor air quality. So, you know, the major change that we're going to see is, you know, we're seeing a, a bunch of kind of data coming out about, again, if we look at COVID, for instance, like uh, the kind of lifespan of, of the virus on uh, textiles, which is actually fairly short. I mean, if you look at like the lifespan on copper, it's like four hours. If you look at a piece of cardboard, it's like perhaps 12 hours. So, you know, I think what we're seeing is that thankfully a lot of residential surfaces can endure through this. So interestingly, things like stainless steel, other surfaces that we consider durable also turned out to be durable for the, uh, for the COVID virus. So I would say that we're going to see a shift in the way that people approach uh, durability and what that means. But I actually don't see a, a big shift. I mean, I think the trend, frankly, even for the past 20 years has been toward, you know, kind of sustainable, good interior air quality, good interior chemical quality in terms of how we touch things. We're in a good position as designers to address this. Well, Peter, I cannot thank you enough. You're a wonderful friend for many years, as well as an incredibly talented architect. So thank you so much to Peter Polsinski from Span Architects today. And you've given us all so much insight and information. You know, we all are traveling into this new norm. So thank you so much, Peter. It's been a pleasure. I hope, uh, I hope it was helpful and uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. Thank you to our listeners for tuning into this episode. To stay up to date on upcoming episodes, which air every two weeks, you can follow me on Instagram at Lisa R. Simonson, where I post news about the latest guests and topics. Until next time, this is Lisa Simonson with Simonson Says.